0: Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80, the zone. Well, the NBA Finals are nearly over. It was uh, not a knockout punch from the Lakers. It's more like a series of jabs. They got the lead. They kept throwing jabs. They ran the clock out. I know I'm mixing my sports metaphors, but uh, it was not a knockout punch. The Heat... He competed, had some runs, tied the game, but just gave up too many runs. It seemed like every time they'd fight their way back in the game, the Lakers would go on a seven-a-run and take control again. It's kind of odd. LeBron looked, um, I don't know, strangely passive at times. Coming down, playing a point guard, at the top of the key, giving up the ball. But no movement, no trying to get to the hoop. Um, once or twice. Went back door once, drove once, but it just... I don't know, it's kind of odd. Hit a lot of jumpers. Got to the free throw line. They got in the bonus. And, uh, you know, it worked. I, it wasn't what I expected to see, but it worked. They're up 3-1. And they got a chance to close it out now and uh, and take home the title. They'll have, they'll have three chances. Um, up 3-1 on the Heat. All right, DJ and PK, we've got more to get to. But let's get to, uh, let's get to some college football right here. Rewarding you early risers. Troy Warner. Uh, Playing well for the Cougars. You know, there's so much on uh, how good the quarterback play is and uh, how good the offensive line is. But the defense is doing pretty well here. Giving up, what, 24 points now in three games? Eight points a game? And, you know, the field goal from Navy, did that really matter? Certainly the last touchdown. The first touchdown mattered. Uh, The first touchdown against Louisiana Tech mattered. That was early, and that tied the game at seven. But the the second one... meaningless it was garbage time it didn't you know the game was won it was over so uh here's troy warner talking about the defense his own play uh obviously had the interception uh saturday but the defense is a group getting it done here's troy warner with the media on 97.5 and 1280 the zone
1: hi troy um we were asking uh coach lamb about the substitution patterns on the defense specifically what what advantages can you see in the first three three games having some good depth on that defense how does that benefit you and how do the guys react to the situation when they're not in and a guy's doing well
2: I mean I think at the end of the day just being able to have guys have the depth have the I guess the trust to put you know put put any guy in is going to play at our advantage because we it's it's fresh legs and it's a a guy that's able to to go out there and play at a play with 100% effort and not to worry about being tired and and all that kind of, all that kind of stuff. But uh, I mean, it, I think whether, whether you're the guy in or whether you're the guy that's, you know, support your teammates, I think we, I think we all want to strive um, for, for great plays and, and to play, to play the game to the best of our ability. It's not like, you know, if we're not in, we're hoping the guy in front of us does bad. Um, we're, we're very, uh, we, we, we want everybody to do well on the team, whether it's us or whether it's the guy next to us, uh, just so that we could be great together hey uh troy as far as kind of preparing
3: for utsa they've played four different quarterbacks it looks like their original starter might be back how is that affecting preparation on you guys' end
2: um you know we look at we look all four of those guys as as great players and and they've all played for a reason uh they've got talent and, and we respect each one of their game uh so we we take a good look at each one of those guys and and uh whichever one it'll be we'll be prepared for and and uh, we look forward to just for the opportunity this week
4: troy what's led to this fast start i mean same guys for the most part personnel wise but obviously much different results and execution what's what do you feel has been the biggest reason for the change
2: um you know it's hard to pinpoint one thing but you know kind of like i've mentioned before each, each guy on this team is really hungry um and, and we feel really grateful to be playing this game right now. So it's just a matter of not taking one one day for granted. And uh, like I said, I think a lot of guys on this team is hungry. And and uh, each week we feel like there's a new opportunity to to correct the mistakes that happened in the last game. And that's what motivates us. Uh, so we just we, – we try to stay hungry, stay motivated as much as we can. And, and uh, yeah, just come prepared each week. We were hoping to talk to Micah Harper,
1: but uh... – what are your impressions of him? I kind of like you coming in as a true freshman and, and getting a lot of time at cornerback. Give, a, give us uh, your
2: impressions about him and maybe some of the other young guys that are helping out in the secondary. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just talking to Mike out at practice uh, just earlier and kind of just telling him how impressed I was with how he's been handling things and as, a, as a true freshman. And uh, just I've been telling him, you know, he's, he's going to be a great player for BYU and and, and just to – uh, just to keep his head down, stay humble, and keep grinding and, and progressing each day, because uh, he's got a lot. He's got a long ride ahead of him, but but he's showing a ton of upside, and we're really excited about what he can do for us. And and that goes for all the all the other young guys that have been playing for us. We've seen a lot of a lot of spurts of, of just big time upside, and so that that's really exciting to see from from young talent um, and, and what that can do for their confidence going forward
4: yeah Troy, what do you um, make of all the the attention that you guys have received as a team and maybe also specifically Zach Wilson the accolades and, and attention he's getting what, how has the team responded internally to that
2: hey, I mean look like the, the, the attention's great um, and, and we we obviously we love it but at the end of the day like we we haven't done really anything yet and and that's what keeps us grounded we we're, we're trying to strive to 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 get better every day, and that and and that's why I say we're trying to correct you know the mistakes we had in the last game, so that we could prepare ourselves for the next game even more, and, and just expound on on what we're trying to build here. Um, but you know, for Zach, it's he's doing things that that I know he could he he, he could do from the get go. Um, he's he's one of the only quarterbacks that I've seen make just insane throws and. And uh, you know, when, when you're when you're doing so well, it's kind of hard to stay humble. But I, I try. I get in his ear all the time, and I tell him you just got to stay humble, keep grinding, and and not just just not get too comfortable. Uh, you know, just I just want to see him do really, really well this well, really well this year. And uh, I think he will.
4: What does the success of the offense do for you guys defensively and how you play? Maybe a little more aggressive. I mean, how 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 does the offenses play impact you guys and how you? approach to play calling and things like that?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. Um, I think just as, just as a defense, when we see, when we see the offense doing really well, it just, it, it builds like, builds up this confidence uh, that just exudes throughout the team. And, and uh, we we just, we can go out there and just play so much more relaxed and, and just, you know, just fly around and and make big plays. uh, And, and and, that's vice versa for the defense when we're playing well, I think that that allows the offense to just go out there, play, relax, just, you know, do what they got to do to, to help us win games. And, and I think we're doing really well to just kind of bounce off each other and, and, uh, you know, play as a team and, and do things the right way. And that, that actually goes for special teams as well. I think we're clicking on all cylinders right now. It's just a matter of being consistent and keeping it going. Yeah. Troy, we saw
4: uh,
2: Fred respond to a tweet of your interception that said, I'm the brother of BYU defensive back Troy Warner. What is kind of like that communication between you and Fred throughout the season and how you're able to help each other with your games? Yeah, I mean, we, we talk literally every day on FaceTime and, and, you know, give, he's giving me little, little tips of what I can do better week to week. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just uh, it's, it's a unique situation for me to have, you know, a guy who's selling at such a high level in the NFL. Um, you know, I don't take it for granted. I'm in his ear all the time trying to figure out what I can do to be great. And, uh, you know, it's just it's uh, it's it's fun. It's uh, one of those situations that I feel like is very unique and doesn't come along very often for most people. And so I kind of just like to take advantage of it. And and the fact that we were so close is is uh, I'm very grateful for it. So, hey, Troy, as a San Diego guy, what
3: kind of popped into your mind when you saw the Cougars were hosting the Aztecs on December
2: 12th? (laughs) <laughs> uh, I mean the first thing that popped in my mind was how cold it's probably gonna be. Uh that's definitely gonna be a freezing game. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they uh how they do with such a cold game coming out here in Utah. But uh but yeah, i I mean I'm excited. Get, getting to play my my one of my hometown teams, uh it's obviously a, a special opportunity for me. And so I'm uh, really, really excited about that one. Uh but obviously taking it one game at a time.
0: All right, there is Troy Warner. We've got more for uh, more college football coming up for you Ute fans and you Cougar fans. Stay with us. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.
5: Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Hey, let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show.
0: Time to welcome in Frank Dolce, former Utah quarterback, broadcaster, Utah football expert, and a college football insider. Frank, good morning.
6: Hey, good morning, guys. I uh, hope you're doing well. We are We're doing well. Great. Frankie D., how the hell are you? My guy. There he is. DK from the South Bay. Absolutely. Hey man, I don't I I I don't want to get this started off on the wrong note, but um I, I just wanted to give you a heads up. Old coach Featherstone's having a having a rough time. Uh, you may have heard about it. There's a GoFundMe page out there right now. Yeah. Um, if you wanted to go take a look. But yeah, my, my old El Camino, my favorite coach of all time, Johnny Featherstone, is struggling a little bit, but uh, man, what a what a great guy, what an influence he's been on hundreds and thousands of lives.
1: Yeah, he's a legend in the Californ- uh, California JC ranks, that's for sure. Put many guys into D1 and obviously even beyond.
6: Yeah, no question. Great, great, great man.
0: Frank Dolce made the move from the South Bay, El Camino JC, to the University of Utah. Is now settled here in this community, Frank. This is hands-down the most bizarro football season. Do you know less about the Utes at this point than you've ever known?
6: Yeah. Well, yeah. Probably at this point, I am guessing in the next couple of weeks we'll get we'll we'll get a whole you know we'll get all of this information kind of like a fire hose on us. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just such a strange, strange year for many. Uh, reasons you know the least of which to me is is college football but but now that we're getting back to, to having a little bit of competition and college football on tv and you know i i feel like that's a really it's a really good step forward for everyone for society and for the for the community and and for people who who are struggling with this this craziness that we're dealing with on a daily basis.
1: So Kyle has his Zoom conference call last week, talks about the season, exciting practice getting underway this week and all that. And he keeps listing as a three-man race. And any time you have a quarterback race, that's going to be the highlight of every single training camp, no matter what level, really. And he lists three guys. Do you buy it's a three-man race? Well, I think that, that he's
6: probably getting three guys reps. But two of those guys are probably getting, you know, 90% of the reps combined. So, um, and I, so I, I think it's, it's, there's probably some truth in the statement, it's a three-man race, but in reality, it's, it's a two-man race with a, with a third guy that's a little bit further behind. Very super talented, but not quite on the level of the other two guys.
0: So we can sit and go nuts over this, but when they run out there on the seventh, it's going to be Bentley, isn't it? You think? Yes. What do you think?
6: I don't know. I don't know. I I I was I was talking to the guys yesterday, and we were going back and forth. I gave the slight edge to Rising. I think that Bentley is, um, like they're 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 not necessarily distinct in their differences in their talents, although I would say that um, Bentley is a more accomplished passer and an adequate runner, and the opposite is probably true of Rising. He's, he's a more accomplished athletic runner and an adequate, maybe more than adequate, passer. So I think that Coach Ludwig could win with both of those guys, and um, and I, I guess it just depends on on what he's trying to get out of that that quarterback position based on the other talent that he has around. So I would say if he has a strong running game, which he he should, and he has um, you know in super talented athletic receiving group, then maybe you go with Bentley. And if you have a strong running game and um, a marginally talented receiving group, then maybe you go with rising. So maybe the whole thing rests on how you evaluate the receiving group.
1: Yeah, that's interesting to see how the other guys around the quarterback – would and could and most likely will affect the decision on which quarterback you're going to play and Ludwig seems to have a firm grasp of it I thought last season was just phenomenal in his play calling I thought that it was the best that they've had probably since they've been in the Pac-12 and and or maybe since Norm Chow because I thought with winning eight games or so what they did with John Hayes was just walking on water type stuff but one of the things that I saw from Andy last year, as he said the year before, is that we're always criticizing Tyler Huntley running too much, you know, keeping the ball. And I remember Andy in the spring ball, so it's the spring before Tyler's senior year. He's saying, well, the plays that I'm going to call, Tyler won't have to worry about making a decision because I'll make the decision and he'll just do what I tell him to do and then we'll be fine. And so that's what happened, and Tyler has a massive senior season, obviously, right? And so I'm wondering if you have the same type of thing now with the offense. How much do you think that Andy, I don't want to say dumb down, but is going to take the pressure off the quarterback so the decisions basically will be made upstairs and you just got to follow through of what we're telling you to do?
6: Well, first of all, I don't think you and I could be more aligned on the on the thought about the offensive coordinator and specifically Norm Chow during his time. I thought that that run that he had with John Hayes making plays was unreal and the ability to go down and win a bowl game in El Paso unbelievable. So, yeah, you and I are right on the same page on that. And I feel like the all of the experience that Andy Ludwig gained and earned outside of his time at the University of Utah really gave him a different perspective on that on that position, on the offensive coordinator position. And what he did last year was just, you know, maximize the talent that he had available. I think he, he it was clearly the case with Tyler Huntley. And so I, I still think that, you know, that's why I say I think he'd be successful with either quarterback because Based on last year, I think that he's gained this ability to just tweak his offense to maximize the talent that he has on the field. So um, I I feel comfortable with with whatever decision that he makes that he's going to be able, that, that they're going to have success. Um, and, and certainly that, you know, lots of things go into that. I, and I failed to mention that, you know, what's happening up front in the offensive line and how critical they are to the, how the offense succeeds or doesn't succeed. But, but I think what, what Andy Ludwig showed us last year and his ability to take that group that, you know, at, at times it's fair to say they struggled in the previous two or three years. And, and when he took the reins. They, they became, you know, like a like this well-oiled machine averaging over 30 points a game. So I'm, I'm a big believer in Andy Ludwig.
0: So the O-line is supposed to be good. Kyle has said that. We see Keithy at tight end. Most of the receiver core is back, so there's a lot of positives there. So how's the running game going to be? The line should make it good, but is there a back who's going to, in Kyle Winningham's words, run violently and just – Pretty reliable. Be able to get four or five yards behind that O line.
6: I think at this point we believe there's a couple guys, maybe three guys, that can do that. And so I, my, my guess is, leading into the first two, two maybe three games of the season, we'll have a we'll have a running back by committee, which isn't my favorite thing, but but. If you have some really talented guys and every, you know you, you have to give everyone a shot, it's just really difficult to to manage that in practice and then and then figure out and name a starter in practice and then go with that guy without testing everybody else. so um, I, 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 I just think that we'll go into the season, um, we'll have two or three guys in the running back group and then hopefully one of those guys will emerge. You know, Jamal Jamal Anderson, who was, you know, one of the great running backs in, in Utah history, if you watched him practice, you would send him you would probably just send him over to the scout team and say, Hey, go, you know, go be our opponent this week because you're not helping us at all. And then and then on, you know, Saturday afternoons, then he was a superstar. So I think it's sometimes it's hard in, in practice to figure out which, which, is, which guy is going to be the guy until you get them under the, the lights on a Saturday.
1: Yeah, the way I look at Utah's running game is basically they talk about next man up. I'm not sure any position epitomizes next man up at, at Utah, than running back. Who's going to be our next 1,000-yard rusher? I mean, Boise State has had like uh, some phenomenal, phenomenal run of over 10 years of a 1,000-yard rusher. Whether it's Brumfield or whomever, I'm expecting the next dude to just take the ball and run with it, literally. And I kind of like saying that.
6: I i I, uh, I think that's I think there's a lot of truth in that, and it's certainly a, a position group where utah has has had significant focus on recruiting and and not only that, but but over the the Kyle Whittingham era for better or for worse, it it's just been the foundation of the offense. I mean we, we, everybody wants to talk about the quarterback and what the quarterback is going to do and but but the the foundation of that offensive group. For the entirety of Coach Whittingham's career has just been the, the running game. And so you recruit to that and you build around that. And the result is where Utah is today where, like you said, it kind of feels like, you know, insert the guy here and, and, and get 1,000 yards from that position group. Yeah.
0: So the schedule is out. Oregon State's the crossover game. There are two Friday games on the road, which a lot has been made about. You know how fair that is to the road team. Blah blah blah. You take all that into account, and you expect four and two, five and one, six and zero. What are you thinking?
6: Oh, uh, well, I think there's a chance that they go undefeated. I mean, I, I, there are there are years when I've looked at the Utah football team and I thought, well, undefeated is going to be really really unreasonable but i think it's reasonable i think it's reasonable this year i think there's some key and in the crossover game you know i mean that that's just I, I think that's a great draw for with oregon state so um i i i think the talent in the south right now resides obviously at usc there's always talent at usc but i i just as much as i like clay helton I don't know that he maximizes the talent he has available. Because if he did, I think those guys would just run through everybody. But so, but I think the talent is hard to overcome at USC. And I, I just have this weird thing with Arizona State. Like, I, it's a, it's, is that pick, I'm picking those guys in my top three. I, in fact, I may put them in the top in the South with USC and Utah as the three. And so I think that's where, where Utah, if they have struggles, that's where I would see them having struggles, USC and Arizona State. I think they can get through everybody else. So, you know, an undefeated season is, is very possible. A one-loss season is more likely. And I think maybe a two-loss season might be, you know, you might think that's a little on the verge of being disappointing, but, um, but I think anything worse than a two loss season is kind of disastrous.
1: So we've seen obviously no fans in the stadiums at BYU, they're booging at the drop of a hat, Kalani's dancing and whatnot. And I know at Utah, you know, they had the crazy lady. I'm advocating that at the start of the third or fourth quarter, whenever it is, Kyle becomes the crazy man and he starts dancing on the sidelines to get his ball club fired up for the fourth quarter. What do you think of that?
6: I I typically agree with lots of your ideas and I will <laughs> I'm going to go hard pass on on Coach Whittingham <laughs> dancing, not just because I think it, it it's not his um his person it's like that doesn't fit his personality at all. And Which you know makes it well even better. Anybody. Yes, you don't know you know him as well as anybody else, but I think this <laughs> this thing that he's built this thing that he's built up, you know, this kind of uh, you know the the. The stiff chin, the you know, commander on the sideline, in control of everything that's happening, and uh, it's all I think that. all of that, all of that could be destroyed in the ma- in a matter of seconds <laughs> if Coach Whittingham starts doing the running man on the sideline.
1: <laughs> well, how about you know they start over the loudspeaker for home games? They play the intro to Saturday Night Fever, and Kyle's just strutting down the sideline. <laughs> I think the best
6: thing I could see Coach Whittingham doing is you know to just st- to have that music start playing and to have this whole thing worked up and have him step out a few yards onto the field and then just to stand there with his arms crossed. That's it. Just stand and <laughs> listen. That would be his halftime entertainment. That seems that seems much more in line with his personality.
0: Okay. <laughs> Frank, as always, we appreciate a few minutes, especially on Kyle's dance moves or lack thereof or need for whatever. It's, I would 21, to nothing, him, it's 21 nothing, and Kyle Whittingham's doing the sprinkler. Okay, that's great. <laughs>
6: yeah, I would pay to see a dance-off between Coach Whittingham and PK.
1: I'm up for it.
0: Oh, wow. Pay-per-view. You,
1: you schedule the time and place. And I'll bring my gold chains. I'll highlight my dark chest hairs, and we'll be ready to go. Put it on the Pac-12 I Network, pay. so
0: a lot of people don't have to watch it.
6: <laughs> I pay to see that. Are you going to go like '70s dance music, oh, yeah. or are you going to go like hip hop?
0: No, '70s. I
1: I think I might go low, 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 low. I don't know wherever where <laughs> my my philosophy is always go where the music takes me. <laughs> <laughs> well,
6: you know what? That is a great life philosophy. <laughs> you just go where the music takes
1: you.
6: <laughs> Man, you guys are the best. It's great to catch up with you.
0: Good to hear from you, Frank. We'll talk to you more as the season kicks off. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you. There's Frank Dolce, the former University of Utah quarterback, broadcaster. He joins us on the show every week to talk to you during the college football season. When we come back, we're going to talk Cougars and pac 12 with the National College football writer from Yahoo. Pete Thamel will join us. What does he think of the Cougars, given their schedule? What does he think of the Pac-12 and the chance to get to the playoff, given how the losses are piling up in the Big 12? We'll talk with Pete next. Stay with us.
5: Take the Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the Zone as well as podcast editions of every show.
0: PK, we are joined now by Pete Thamel, National College Football Writer for Yahoo Sports. He's on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Pete, good morning. Hey, guys. How are you? Good. We are curious. Well, we're curious about many things, but let's start with the most obvious one. BYU is 3-0, winning by an average score of 49-8. to but beating teams, at uh, well, we follow Navy, but we don't follow the others. We don't know how good they are. Navy just got drilled by Air Force. What, what does all this mean? BYU's crushing people, but what does it mean? How good are they?
3: I think they're excellent. They have an excellent quarterback, and they have excellent lines, right? If, if you're really going to take a barometer and try to judge a team without the proper empirical evidence of opponents – I think the the place you start or you know the quarterback in the trenches, and that's where BYU has in, has impressed me the most. I've watched a lot of them this year just because they've been on and in uh, really good really great windows so so they have not got the best schedule uh, in college football due due to obvious reasons because of the pandemic and they had an excellent schedule uh, prior, but they have had a ton of exposure which you you've you got to give Tom Homo credit for um. And I really think that, uh, I really think that they're, they're excellent. You know, this is the kind of team that if they were still in the Mountain West, I think they'd be favored to win it at this
0: point.
1: So obviously they haven't had the best schedule, as you say, if they should go undefeated, which is still, you know, they've got a long way to go, so we can't say that just yet. And who knows if they're going to play the games and all that stuff. But just for argument's sake, we say you don't have the best schedule. If they go undefeated, would they have the worst schedule of undefeated teams?
3: Well, it's hard to say because you, you don't know who else is going to undefeated, but everyone, eh, eh, they're not going to make the playoff, all right? Like, we can just get that out of the way right now because they're just, they're not going to have, they're going to have one potential top 25 game against Boise. Maybe two, but no more than that. So that's a that's a pipe dream. But what you want to do is position yourself to to get that other New York Six Bull bid. And I would think because of the exposure, because of the tenor, because of the star power of Zach Wilson, they're at least going to have, like, they're, they're going to, they have so far thrust themselves into that conversation and let's face it they probably weren't in that conversation um seriously considered when the, when the season started so good on them they've they've earned it they've earned it through authoritative wins and and, and props to Kalani Sataki he's done a he's done an excellent job kind of on a slow burn build there
0: so when you look at them you know one way to measure this is uh, how many NFL players do they have what do NFL scouts say about them Have you heard any of that?
3: It's early for that, um, just because the scouts, you know, they usually have gone through camps and all that stuff. Like, the normal rhythms of scouting is... Are a little bit d- disrupted right now. I-, I will say, and I wrote this this weekend on, uh, on Yahoo sports, my takeaways column that, that like Zach Wilson right now, you know, can be considered someone who will be considering the draft, but like he has gotten the attention of NFL scouts and they've realized like, they need to take a look at him and consider him for this draft. And I saying he's going to go. And I think it's inevitable. There's, there's a pretty gar- a good argument where he comes back, plays better competition, grows another year. And he could be one of the faces of college football next season. Um, you know, the last five years or so, that kind of patience really hasn't been prominent amongst uh, amongst prospects. And I don't claim to know Zag or anything about him or his thinking. Um, so I really have no I really have no sense. But uh, I mean that is that is a position that the NFL will be looking closely at this this year. And in terms of other personnel, it, it, it's too early for me to, uh, to to start you know making declarations on other BYU players.
1: I always felt that Ty Detmer, in part, won the Heisman because of the guys who've gone before him, like Steve Young, Nielsen, Wilson, McMahon, Bosco. We, we know the names. So the point is that they had a rep leading up to Detmer, and Detmer was phenomenal in his own right. Now we've had more recently a guy like John Beck, Max Hall, a little bit of the NFL experience. How much do you think BYU's tradition of excellent quarterbacks will help Wilson get more individual Publicity, but also the program in general as it tries to make its way to that New York, New York Six and New Year's Six, as you say. The
3: New York Six, I like it. It's a new, yeah, uh, new name. <laughs> uh, I, I really think that you know the BYU quarterback lineage is sort sure of one of the one of the gilded positions in, in all college sports, right? There's just there's there's some magic in a in a BYU quarterback. So we're going to pay a little extra attention when the BYU quarterback is special, like Zach Zach Wilson is. So I mean, one of the things that that fuels college uh, football and college athletics is that it's rooted in nostalgia, right? Like, people like to remember when Steve Young was playing there. People like to remember when Ty Depper was playing there. And, you know, Zach Wilson's season that, that he's having right now rekindles those memories. And that, that I think, uh, is, is, is part of, uh, you know, is part of that nostalgia tug of college sports that make it such a, uh, that make it such a powerful, uh, powerful driver. So, uh, no, I, I think that in in just the, the credibility of that position, you know, in the NFL and obviously just historically, the credibility of that position is only going to benefit him.
0: Well, you played a nostalgia card in uh, Pac-12 or Pac-10 or Pac-8 fans. Remember when USC was a perennial power in the conference with all the guys opting out at Oregon. Is Oregon still the favorite? Is USC the favorite? Is it wide open? Is it somebody else? What are you thinking?
3: I would think Oregon is is still the favorite. I mean, nobody wins off seasons like USC, right? Like, um, what did they lose five games last year off the top of my head? Yeah. were they eight and five? I think you're right, but I'll check. Yeah, I think they were eight and five last year. So, like, that's that's a lot of games to lose, including one to uh, one to BYU, which wasn't necessarily a terrible loss, but at the time it wasn't great because of who who else BYU had, uh, had had lost. Yeah, they were eight and five, and they went seven and two in the uh, in in the Pac-12. Yeah. So, I just have a hard time. And you got to remember, they lost uh, an offensive tackle who was a first round pick for the draft. Uh, Elijah Vera Tucker still hasn't said that the the talented guard who's a potential first round pick still hasn't said if he's coming back this year Um, you know it's it's USC and they've recruited well but to, to me to take a take a five loss team and insert them as the as the favorite I think is brand bias more than more than any sort of reality we've seen.
1: Already this season has been crazy. A lot of things that we didn't anticipate in going forward here. We're going to get the uh, other conferences getting going the next month or so. And with that in mind, you know, one of the knocks against college football is that when we get to the four-team playoff, you know, we could pretty much predict the six teams that will be in contention and probably have a good shot to get at least half, if not all four, do you think that maybe this year it could be a little bit different or it's not going to matter? And when we get to December in the middle of December, we're going to see the same teams vying for the four berths?
3: I don't think there's going to be a lot of surprises this year. I think this year is going to be a mess and it may be a little more controversial picking between four and five, but again, it's very it's very, very early, and we've only seen what two weeks of the SEC, and it is kind of a mess. You can't keep track of it in your mind anymore. Um, but I, I will say that I, I don't think like there is going to be. Will we'll teams get upset? Sure, because of the chaotic nature of it. But I think when it when we drill down, especially because of these conference only samples, I, I, I have a hard time imagining some team coming from out of nowhere and in, uh, in, in getting in this playoff. I'm I'm skeptical of the Pac-12's ability to get there, but at the same time, the Big 12 has really a Eliminated itself as much as any major conference has by, uh, you know, know, early October per per se. So the Pac-12's credibility issue is really going to be on display right now because the problem out there is just there aren't a ton of good wins on the table because a lot of those programs just haven't produced very well and can't go out of conference and prove themselves this year. I mean, we're already going to have – by the time the Pac-12 kicks off, we're already going to have such refined opinions about – Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, not as much Ohio State and uh, Penn State, but like they're already going to be known quantities to such an extent that it's really going to be hard in a in a short window for a Pac-12 team to leapfrog some of those some of those big brands.
0: Pete Dammel will join us, National College football writer for Yahoo Sports. Are any coaches going to be held accountable for disappointments this year? Are they going to be fired? Or because of the financial situation, has everyone got to stick with whoever's under contract? Because buyouts, first off, it's hard to come up with the money. And second, if you do, it looks bad.
3: Well, Southern Miss already parted ways with their coach. So it was like the same week I wrote a column that said, there won't be a lot of coaches fired this year. So it shows you how much I know. Um, <laughs> I really think that there will be a measure of austerity. And what, we, what I struggle for us to see is like Texas would owe like Tom Herman and his staff $25 million. So you can talk about him being on the hot seat, but I just don't think there's any element of reality of that. That's just a huge number. I, The big – untenable buyouts. And, you know, look, you saw him at West in recent years, Todd Graham at Arizona State, Jim Mora at UCLA. Um, you know, there have, been, there have been a handful that have been right around that $10 million mark that have just been like, wow, that's a, you know, that's a lot of money. I don't think we'll see any wows this season. Will we see some people lose their job? Yeah. Like some folks could retire you know, there's always going to be some people who flop. These are hard jobs, right? These guys have very, very difficult jobs. And so the stress of doing this job in a pandemic under these crazy rules with the virus just, uh, you know, like, all right, we don't have any cornerbacks today. We got to get like that element of it. I mean, it's an unpredictable job. Anyway, that element of it could drive some guys out. We could see. You know, if there's going to be a big wow job, it could be somebody going to the NFL being like, all right, I got enough of this, um, a high end guy, and then more likely than Gus Malzon getting fired.
1: So I like your point of the Pac 12 starting so late will have the great body of evidence for the SEC and ACC of what we've been playing for so long. And Ohio State, you know. Th- they could probably start December 19th and go 1-0 and and get in because they're Ohio State. So with the Pac-12, they're always playing from behind. So what I'm getting from you is they're playing even more from behind this year. So with that in mind, if they had a 7-0 and team that didn't get in, would that be the worst look of the Pac-12 in the years that they've had this playoff of having somebody be undefeated and still not get in?
3: I got a prediction. I don't think anybody's going seven and zero out there. I don't think anybody's discernibly so much better than anyone mm-hmm. else. Sure. Amid this mess of chaos and opt-outs and everything, I just have a hard time envisioning a team out there going undefeated. The I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Right. But I just have a hard time. Because won't they end up with, and forgive me for not knowing this, the schedules have been impossible to track. Are they seven and then the playoffs eight, or are they six in the playoffs? Six, playoff six plus one. Six and seven. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, you know, look, most of those teams lose in division play anyway, right? They like, do, It's hard yeah. to imagine USC running through division play when they haven't run through division play in recent right. years, right? Yeah. And o- Oregon has a new starter quarterback. They lose two corners. Now, look, they've recruited well, and they're talented. And, uh, you know, in, in everything, obviously, you know, Penech Sewell is probably the best player in the Pac-12 period this season. So certainly the best NFL prospect. So, like, there, there's there's enough uncertainty at Oregon where it's hard to just, like, write them in at 6-0 and when, like, you've got Washington likely on a little bit of an uptick. Washington State's going to be goofy as heck to play under Rolovich. Like, that's, you know – there's a new style there that they that they've got to play. I have a hard time seeing Stanford without a pulse again. Just in, and Cal has been salty. Cal can stone You know we've we've seen we've seen Justin really uh, pull that program up and, and, and rise. And I, I don't know who Oregon's crossover is off the top of my head. I guess UCLA at home maybe.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yes, that, yeah. And so you know that you know could they should they will they be favored in those six games? Absolutely, they will. There's no reason they shouldn't be, but to to say they're just going to win them all with the with the losses that they with the personnel losses that they had and all the goofiness. I mean, you're one, you know, you're one party bus as we saw or keg party or whatever away. I, I'm just I'm just it, it's hard to it's hard to assume in these COVID times, guys.
0: Pete Dammel, national college football writer for Yahoo Sports, joining us. So I'm curious if we're going to hear the SEC. And let's be honest, for a long time, if you play eight conference games, you get into the playoff. If you play nine, you're at risk, whether you're the Big Ten or the Pac-12 or uh, the Big 12. So is the SEC going to be in the weird position of suddenly arguing, oh, we played ten conference games. Let this 8-3 uh, and three or 8-2 and two or 9-2 and two team in?
3: Of course that's going to happen. Okay. I mean, it will be the most wondrously hypocritical thing that we've ever seen, right? <laughs> uh-huh. Um and like there is there is some sort of validity to the you know to, to the argument. It's a two loss SEC team. I mean, who you? I've always been a big fan of who have you played and who have you beaten, right? Like that's really what it that's really what it comes down to. And what are your what are your best wins? It's just going to be so hard to judge that stuff because what is what is Cal, right? What is Cal if they haven't gone out of conference and played anybody? We don't know what Cal is, right? So it's just, it's these these really tiny sample sets being being judged against each other, at least as SEC is saying, okay, we're at least playing 10 certifiable games where the opponent has some brand resonance, right? Like that's, that's a lot different than six games in, you know, so, um, but I mean, look, like the big 12 decided to play an out of league game basically as an inventory play to fulfill their TV obligations. And that proved disastrous for the league, right? like the the big twelve would still be a mess, but it wouldn't have half the problems if it it of, of credibility if Louisiana didn't win at Iowa State and uh, k State didn't lose to uh, or if k State was two and with the two wins they had right now, you know we'd be they'd be ranked you know they'd be ranked third in the country right not not that high, but you know what I mean so yeah. it's, it's, it's it's going to be the the most fascinating argument playoff that we've ever seen.
1: So in terms of credibility for BYU's sake, does Boise State become their Super Bowl? Yes.
3: Yeah, that's going to be a huge. That's going to be a huge game. Is that a weekday game?
1: I Haven't said it yet. First week of uh, November, either that Friday or Saturday. Okay. It was originally going to be the Friday night on the schedule. It's okay. the same weekend, but we don't know now as since it's been rescheduled, if it'll be Friday or Saturday.
3: Okay, well, that'll be uh, you know that I would imagine that ends up on a Friday, right? And so the world, so the world can watch. And the good thing for, for BYU's sake is not only a committee but college sports fans have to be conversant in BYU at this point, right? Like like, like much more so than than most most seasons, just because the exclusivity of their windows has been pretty dynamic.
0: Pete Dammel, national college football writer for Yahoo Sports. Last thing before we let you go, so with all the questions you bring up. There's two things that could happen here. One, they could move the playoffs back a couple weeks so that more teams can play. Either you know an SEC team or a Big 12 team needs to reschedule a game or just so the Pac-12 could schedule two more games. They could do that. There seems to be zero momentum for it. They also could go to an 18 playoff, which has been suggested, but there seems to be zero momentum for it. Why are they so stuck on a 14 playoff on these dates in a year when we know there isn't enough information to make a good choice? And when we know everyone needs more games, regular season or playoffs to make more money because everybody has budget issues.
3: You know, it's, it's a good question. You know, I did a column months ago about how the financial crunch from this is going to lead to playoff expansion. I was talking to some smart people in the business side of college sports and somebody brought up a good point. They said, you know, especially at that time when there didn't look like all the sports were going to be played as many as we saw now. And it's still a time of austerity with advertisers and everything. They, someone said, don't be so sure TV can just double the paycheck, right? Because it's a big paycheck. Don't be so sure that, you know, ESPN can just clean out the couch cushions and, and fork over a couple hundred extra million. You know what I mean? Like the, the, all these deals work every way. So it's easy to sit around and, you know, move and say, Oh, this date and this date, and we can just do it. But you need the extra couple hundred million revenue there. And I, I don't know if that has, you know, if that has been made available or not made available, but it's sort of just worth thinking through from, from every, uh, from every direction. Now the the argument that the college football playoff people would tell you is, Oh, you know, it's, it, it, there's a lot of ancillary things that go with these events. Um, in, in their their book years in advance, et cetera, et cetera, and we've seen schedules literally blown up and, and remade in twenty four hours during this whole thing. So now the the scale of the event and everything, and again, fans, no fans, I have no idea, right? But I, there are there are some complications. I mean, shoot, it, I think it would be really smart for them to go to an eighteen playoff, but um, it does not surprise me. Just dealing with dealing with the the playoff and dealing with folks, it's hard to make change in college athletics.
0: Pete, we appreciate the time and the perspective. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks, guys. There's Pete Thamel from Yahoo, National College Football writer. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines, Game 4 of the NBA Finals, four baseball playoff games. We'll get to that next. Stay with us.